0: This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we
1: use it. The button portion stops here. Plug the radio in. Yeah, cause I can't.
2: everyone to Evidence for Faith, the voice of Ratio Christi. This is the Christian Evidences and Worldview radio program, where we help you answer the question, why should I become a Christian? I'm Keith Kendricks, and today's topic is going to be the Christian worldview. We have a great, exciting guest in store for you, but Let's just do a little housekeeping items. We want to make sure that you check out our website at evidenceforfaith.com. That's evidence and the number four, faith.com. We also have a new Facebook page, which has been getting a lot of activity lately. And you can listen to archived shows at the website or also podcasts are available on iTunes. Just search for Evidence for Faith. And don't forget to check out the website, roshiochristi.org. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at email at evidenceforfaith.com. Well, with me in the studio today, I have Jennifer Quinn once again.
1: Hi, everyone.
2: Jennifer is a graduate from Stockton College near here and is the founder of the Ratio Christi chapter at Stockton. Also, Jessica Richardson. Hi, everybody. And Jessica is the a senior at Stockton and currently the vice president of the Rasha Christi chapter there. And also very exciting for me is my very own daughter, Elizabeth Kendricks.
3: Hi, everyone.
2: And Elizabeth has been on show the show before. She talked about the Summit Ministries trip that she took in, back in 09. So we'll have her insights on that. But I really want to introduce you to a great guest. And before I do that, let me keep things in order here. We always have a quote of the week, and this one I had to do because it seems very appropriate for the theme of the show. This comes from Apologetics 315, and it's a quote from Thomas Cooper, who wrote this in 1875, and it's about Christian evidences. It's a little bit long, but I think you'll appreciate What he's saying, especially for somebody back in 1875, he says, I do not imagine or expect that I can win over at once to Christianity the minds of skeptical working men who may be listening to me. I know too well by personal experience how hard it is to part with skeptical convictions, how difficult it is to bring a mind which has become strongly warped in the direction of unbelief, to enter upon a determined, steady and persevering consideration of the Christian evidences. And without this, without an earnest and devoted study of Christian evidences, no thinking skeptic, for I am not addressing vulgar scoffers, can ever become a real Christian. I seek no flighty converts from your ranks, no sudden passing over to our side from yours of some hot, excitable partisan who is incapable of thinking, I seek to lead you to accept what I believe to be true by inducing you to practice the daily reflection, the steady conning over and over again of each item of the Christian evidences, which effectually cured my doubts and rendered me a settled and grateful believer. I would not lift up my finger or stir a straw to make a sudden and spasmodic conversion of any one of you which would leave you helpless in your new belief and incapable of giving a reason of the hope within you. Such a convert would be a very useless one. I want to enlist real soldiers for my master. That is from Thomas Cooper, 1875. And that basically is the purpose of this show. Well, we did get an email couple of them actually so I bumped this one up to the front of the line because I thought it was appropriate for today's topic and when we get our guest on I think we will ask him about this maybe he's got some insights into answering this gentleman's question and this is from a listener by the name of Michael who lives on Long Island he says I've been debating atheists and a question came up that I'm unable to find any real answer to even though I know but just not specifically. Do you know or can you put on the show statistics of how much and what Christians do worldwide? And then if you take this out, how would the world be? So it's a little awkwardly worded, but I think he's saying that what good does Christianity do? So he's been challenged by atheists. So he says, lately, atheists challenge that the world would be better off without Christians. And then he says, also, I'm interested in learning apologetics, seeing how we are being attacked by Islam and atheists and the attacks are growing. My church does not offer anything, so I am looking to do something online. I like your broadcasts and would like to know if you can give me a direction to find the right school. Thanks and keep up the great work, Mike. Well, uh, ladies, you you have been looking at this very topic of learning about apologetics and comments on what Mike could do.
1: I'd say enroll in Biola's apologetics program. Honestly, that was the best decision I've ever made.
2: And is that the certificate program? That is the certificate
1: program. Okay, Mm -hmm. great. I was going to say the same thing because I'm currently doing that too. And it's not that expensive. I think it's like $300 for the whole certificate around there, right? Around there. And it gives you a lot of useful information too. Mm -hmm.
2: Great, great. Well, I answered him this way. I said, hey, Mike. Yeah, this is a claim that we have addressed many times, so keep getting caught up on the podcast. There are several good books on this. One is What's So Great About Christianity by Dinesh D'Souza. Any of the books that answer the new atheists will likely cover this also. And as for the training, I would start with the apologetic certificate course offered by Biola. And as for MA degrees, Biola is also the best, but there are many other good ones. Listen to tomorrow's show, and I will ask John Stone Street your question also, which is a perfect segue to introduce our guest. I want to introduce to Evidence for Faith a speaker, writer, cultural commentator, and he works with the Colson Center, Summit Ministries, and is the host of a daily national radio program called The Point. Which is a one minute commentaries that I always listen to on the biblical worldview. And he's also co author of Making Sense of Your World, A Biblical Worldview. So this is definitely one of the people that you need to know about, one of the busiest men out there, and one of the most insightful. John Stone Street, welcome to Evidence for Faith.
0: Thanks, Keith. That's uh, great to be on the show here with you guys.
2: Well, John, like I said, you are a very busy guy. So I thought we would uh, first get our listeners a little more familiar with you personally. Can you, is there anything you want to add to my intro there?
0: Uh, no, that's that's great. I mean, I uh, have been just blessed to be a part of uh, two organizations over the last uh, several years. Uh, really, I've worked with Summit Ministries for nearly 10 years. and It sounds like your daughter shared the... Uh, the, uh, the, the, the what happens at the program uh, with, with the listeners here, but it's in our fiftieth year helping high school and college students, and even those beyond co- high school and college, uh, understand the collision of ideas that takes place uh, in our culture throughout history, and then especially on the college campus. And then for the last two years, I've been working uh, hand uh, shoulder to shoulder with the the, 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 the late Chuck Colson. Uh, Of course, one of the great Christian leaders of the 20th century, in particular with his work uh, in translating uh, Christian worldview for for everyone else. I think it was his book, uh, How Now Shall We Live?, which really kind of brought worldview into, uh, kind of finished the work, I guess you could say, that Francis Schaeffer started helping Christians think about uh, loving God with our minds, not just with our... <clears throat> with our hearts, and, and, and so um, uh, part of that work there is, is, like you said, hosting a one-minute daily commentary called The Point, and what we try to do is find places uh, wherever we can where faith and culture intersect and talk about that intersection, and uh, folks can listen to that on radio or find it on our uh, Breakpoint app, where they can also listen to the classic radio program of Breakpoint, which, of course, the one that Chuck founded called, uh, uh, called Breakpoint, and since Chuck's past, Eric Metaxas, the author of that terrific book, Bonhoeffer, and uh, myself, we've uh, kind of taken the rein on, uh, on voicing that. It's, it's funny because the question that you just voiced from, this, uh, from the email uh, on Friday's breakpoint, I dealt with that just a little bit. Not so much historically, although that's really, really important. I was going to suggest certainly D'Souza's book, um, What's So Great About Christianity? Um, there's also a, Alvin Schmidt's book, How Christianity Changed the World, uh, you know, which deals with a lot of this. But I was dealing more specifically on Friday uh, with what would happen... If uh, Catholic charities, uh, were, excuse me, Catholic hospitals, were forced to go out of business like Catholic charities have been, and if we got rid of the Catholic hospitals, uh, they're, they're just the Catholic hospitals in America right now, um, Catholic hospitals make up over 11 percent of America's health care, and they deal with an unusually high number of folks who cannot pay. Uh, and they offer day-to-day screening processes that government hospitals can't actually, or state-run hospitals can't actually afford. So it's just it's just interesting. There's just uh, an enormous amount of, uh, of vacuum that would be left if Christianity uh, fled the scene like some of our uh, atheist brothers would, would want us to.
2: Now, uh, let's hone in a little bit on the point. That's a one-minute broadcast. Where can people get that?
0: Well, two places, really. Um, We're on about uh, nearly 800 radio stations uh, and uh, just played at different parts during the day. You can find out if you go to Breakpoint.org, if your local Christian radio station carries it. And if not, certainly call them and ask them to. Uh, The other place, though, that might be the easiest, uh, other than just going to Breakpoint.org and signing up for the podcast, is uh, we have a a a Breakpoint Colson Center um, iPhone and uh, Android app that uh, you can download on your phone, and it'll push all of our new broadcasts, including Breakpoint and The Point. We also have a 30-minute weekly show called Breakpoint This Week, where we just uh, conduct some pretty uh, terrific interviews, and all of that stuff can, can, will be pushed right to their, their phone, and they can listen to it that way.
2: Great. And then you also recently did something with the Colson Center, Called the two-minute warning. You've been doing a series, or did a series on sexual brokenness. I've actually been playing that video for my Sunday school, uh, and it's uh, doing great. Can you tell us a little Fantastic. bit about that? Well,
0: that's exactly what we were hoping to get out of it. Is we're trying to put out just kind of a quick teaching moment that creates some discussion, and so we've got another series about to be released on the two-minute warning uh, on Christianity and culture. That'll release this uh, this coming uh, Thursday, um, and that'll be another four-part series. So, uh, yeah, that's a that's a video, uh, just you know, two-minute video, two-three-minute video, where I stand in front of the camera and just try to say some some quick, uh, hard-hitting uh, sorts of things about a topic of interest. And the series that you're talking about had to do with various forms of sexual brokenness, and how do we actually uh, confront that sexual brokenness?
2: Yeah, it's a a terrific series. Uh, Really impressed with it. Uh, We're on the part three, so next week we're going to do part four. So uh, I do recommend that to all our listeners that you go online and and pull up the uh, two-minute warning from the Colson Center. And the series on sexual brokenness, or I guess it's also available at YouTube, right?
0: Well, it is, and I was going to say there's a couple places for that. If you download that iPhone app and, and uh, Android app that I mentioned, uh, the two minute warning will come to that as well. But I recommend, uh, you know, if you, you know, you've got a lot of listeners that are uh, serious about apologetics, serious about uh, sharing the truth of Christ in a loving, winsome way. And I tell you, the very first one, the very first video, really uh, did a did a quick little minor explosion there on YouTube, especially with the comments, uh, a a very pro-gay blog picked it up and and so uh, there was an, an awful lot of comments, and it was a great place for Christians to interact on something very important, because, you know, it's kind of what you talk about on your show here, Keith. When we defend Christianity, we're not just defending this fact or that, that fact. I mean, that's the point of the Christian worldview. Certainly, we need to be able to argue that Christianity is, in fact, true because the Scriptures can be trusted, because of the evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. You know, some of these apologetic questions, but the other question is, which worldview view, which vision of reality best explains the world we actually live in. So which vision of human nature, uh, the Marxist one, um, the Christian one, the atheist one, which one actually makes sense of human sexuality? Which one brings sexual wholeness versus sexual brokenness? And boy, I tell you, there's, there's, there's kind of one freedom that if you attack it today in the public square, Uh, you get shot at. And that, of course, is sexual freedom. Um, You know, If you say that sexuality has a a way that it's supposed to be and it's not supposed to be other ways, uh, you can get in some trouble. So that's that's what happened on YouTube. But what a great opportunity for Christians to interact with others and share the truth about who we are.
2: Absolutely. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. I'm Keith Kendricks. Here with me...
1: Jennifer Quinn. Jessica Richardson. And Elizabeth Kendricks.
2: And we are talking with John Stone Street about the Christian worldview. So, John, we, we talked a little bit about The Point. We talked a little bit about Colson Center. Let's let's get into Summit Ministries. That's the ministry you've been with the longest. Um, tell us a little bit about the history of Summit Ministries and, and the work that it does. It's, uh, it, it's something that I'm very impressed with.
0: Yeah, well, S- Summit's just really a uh... Uh, a terrific ministry we're located uh in uh, outside of Colorado Springs Colorado founded 50 years ago uh this summer by a man named David Noble whose uh, book Understanding the Times is the the best-selling Christian worldview manual of all time and in that book he compares uh the six major worldviews that are vying for um, Western civilization right now. Um, and, and that's really what, what we need to understand. There's a classic line, and this is probably uh, more than any other, kind of what we're trying to get students to understand, especially high school and college students. And that is that ideas have consequences. Uh, good ideas have good consequences. Bad ideas have bad consequences. So every, everybody has a worldview. And just like individuals do, cultures embrace worldviews. They embrace visions of Reality and these visions, just like a pair of glasses, will either allow us to see the world clearly, or they'll prevent us from seeing the world. Uh, and it's important that we have the right glasses on. And uh, Christianity, again, is more than just a set of truths; it's a whole vision for human history, for the way you know people should interact. Um, um, uh, you know, you know, for example, a simple question like, "Can humanity be perfected, or is a utopian society possible?" You know, ironically visions of the world in the 20th century that brought more bloodshed than any others were trying to bring perfection, and they've miserably failed. And so these ideas, though, they don't die hard. These ideas are present in college. They're present in movies and TV shows and culture. And many Christians um, are blind to this. And so 50 years ago, David Noble uh, realized that there was a lot of kids when they went off to college. They were, in the the words of St. Paul, being taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy. And and so he thought that was a shame because Paul tells us not to be. And then he goes on in Colossians to tell us to take every idea captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so that's really what Summit is about, helping students take ideas captive. Helping Hi, them understand again, which uh, ideas talking. are vying for the hearts of mine. I just had a mind. question.
1: Do you find that these ideas um, against the Christian worldview are even seeping into Christian universities, picking up secular ideas of relativism and stuff like that?
0: Uh, sorry, was the question, are, they, are these ideas also in Christian universities? Yes. Yeah, well, listen, I, I, that's a great question. I think one of the important points is what counts as a Christian university, right? Um, just because it has a name, uh, a Christian name, on on the sign, doesn't mean. In fact, my freshman year, I went off to a college where the motto was Thy Word is Truth," and was taught within the first week of classes that the word wasn't true, that the miracles had been fabricated to embellish the Jesus story. So I found that quite ironic. But as a kid who grew up in a Christian school and uh, Christian home, I didn't know how to answer that challenge. And so, um, you know, those ideas are absolutely being embedded, I think especially in areas like psychology and um, also I think postmodern ideas, like I think you mentioned relativism, as well as just literary deconstruction, an idea of a dead French guy named Jacques Derrida. um, These ideas cause great damage and uh, a lot of students aren't ready. So Summit really prepares them for that.
3: Uh, I would totally agree with that. Um, this is Elizabeth. I went to Summit three years ago before I went to college, and the stuff I learned there really helped me when I entered because I go to a Christian college, and I took a um, philosophy course where the teacher was very postmodern, and I wouldn't have known anything about what he was talking about. Like Maybe I would have accepted it if I hadn't gone to Summit and gotten those ideas Um I learned those ideas and about why what he was saying was not true or not right or um, just sounding different than what I had learned.
0: Yeah, and I think that's, that's one of the things. I think C.S. Lewis said that the most dangerous ideas in a society aren't the ones being argued but the ones that are being assumed. And a lot of times you go to a Christian college, you assume, right, that the ideas that you're going to hear are the right ones. Um, and then, of course, you know, a lot of times these ideas are coming not directly. It's not that the professor's up there saying, well, God doesn't exist or God's Word isn't true. They're, they're saying things like truth doesn't exist. And here's how we know because of relativism or postmodern ideas and, and like you you know like you said, if you weren't prepared for those ideas, you could have been in a lot of trouble in terms of your faith and certainly in terms of your effectiveness as a christian
2: so John, tell us a little bit more details about uh summit ministries it it offers camps and um you know how can people get uh, you know who can go
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah, great question actually today uh later on today, i'll go up to our campus we have a Uh, an old hotel campus in Manitou Springs, Colorado, just outside of Colorado Springs. And and we'll welcome our seventh group of the summer in Colorado, in addition to a group that we had in Tennessee. So uh, our camps run for two weeks at a time. Uh, They are for ages 16 and, and up. And most of our students actually are either headed to college in the fall or or in college, uh, but it's really a two-week uh, boot camp of uh, ideas. I'd love to hear Elizabeth describe it even a little bit uh, in terms of her experience. But um, we, um, we hold, uh, essentially we begin our programs in May and every two weeks until September uh, out here in Colorado. In Tennessee on the campus of Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee, we have a, a two-week camp that runs in the middle of July. And uh, and uh, the cost is 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 very um, very very low for 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 two weeks, and uh, all the information is at our website summit s u m m i t
2: So Elizabeth, why don't you jump in and tell everybody your experience? And, and you don't have to say that John Stone Street was the best teacher there, <laughs> but it, unless you want to.
0: But
3: it would uh, help. Well, it would help. Like everybody. you said, it was it that. was really a boot camp. I went. It was two weeks long, like you said. Um, simply packed full with um, courses. It was like sitting in like a college classroom. Very interactive. lecture based, uh, where the lecturer presents his topic, and then the students interact with him. Um, it's not just sitting in a, like a classroom learning. You also, we had um, barbecues. We went to a park, I think two twice. We had barbecues on Sundays. We had the option to go to the zoo or go hitchhiking and then go to either focus on the family or to the Air Force Academy. So it was fun and learning. And the courses there was, it was all um, given on a college level basis. Um, this, the teachers were very, um, Nice. Yeah, they they sat with us at lunch and talked to us, and it was it was three years ago, so I'm having trouble remembering. But it was it was great. It was the best, one of the best courses I've ever been to.
2: And Elizabeth, which class was the hitchhiking part in?
3: It was on a Sunday. <laughs> oh, It, was it was. hiking. Did you say hiking? Yeah, I
0: think I they think
2: went we to Pikes, hitchhiking. Hitchhiking. Not Pikes
3: Peak. <laughs> Pikes Peak is in Colorado, right?
2: I think so. Okay. <laughs> no, it was Pikes
0: Peak. It just wasn't. hitchhiking.
3: <laughs> oh, which oh gosh that's why i was like what what kind of ministry i meant <laughs> mountain hiking oh
2: okay mountain climbing or, yes. yes okay that's good it's a little different so um yeah go is ahead, this Jen. a
1: year-round program like, like is it for college students like i would even be able to go for two weeks is it just any time or is it like a specific time slot like only in the summer or something like that
0: yeah. Well, we do have. A, well, we do have a couple programs, different conferences uh, during the the rest of the year. The primary time is is during the summer. We we begin about mid May and head to about mid September and. And, yeah, you, you you would be more than welcome to come. In fact, we've had plenty of uh, seminary students, uh, college graduates, moms, dads, grandmothers come through. Um, and, and it's amazing. When we say 16 and up, we really do mean, you know, up. And, and it's not your typical, uh, you know, smoke and mirrors and, you know, lots of, uh, you know, entertainment-driven stuff like a typical youth program is. We're, we're, we're serious about ideas, and what we find is that students um, – who come are often, uh, uh, you know, often ex- more excited about the teaching than anything else because it's at a level. That makes them stretch, and it you know it's relevant to the sort of challenges that they that they have. You can also, by the way, get college credit for attending it. Um, you know, through our partners at, at Bryan College. So you know, it's a it's a it's a high level uh, high level program, and um, you know we've we've had a couple folks in grad school show up and say, I, you know, I learned more about this worldview stuff during this you know two weeks than I I'd known all my life, and and, 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 and you know that, and that's fine. We 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 want to get this journey started for all of us. It's part of Christian discipleship uh, to know what's going on in the world.
2: Well, I want to go back for a minute to David Noble because I really want to give him his due. We talked briefly about it, but he was authoring uh, this book, Understanding the Times, and and teaching worldview back in the early 60s. So that was, I don't know if it was before, but it was at least at the time of Francis Schaeffer. So uh, he really was a pioneer in this field
0: well he 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 was and its it's interesting i um i, I once you know did a, a pretty intense study of of the the worldview uh influence uh in uh in terms of english even or american evangelicalism and 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 dave noble was doing it as early as anybody there there's no doubt about it he was doing it and and two things really drove it for 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 doc one was he was one of those folks who almost lost his faith. In fact, he'll tell you the story. He went through Bible college, uh, believe it or not, and then went off to start a PhD program in philosophy at University of Wisconsin. And, um, you know, very very secular department at the time. Of course, this was before the influence of guys like Alvin Plantinga and J.P. Moreland, who you know really kind of you know changed some of the, uh, the, the changed some of the landscape and and philosophy. At that point, I mean, just being a Christian in philosophy was really unheard of. And, and so uh, David Noble, after a Bible college degree, almost walked away from his faith. And uh, it was uh, an older gentleman who, who who mentored him and pushed him towards the writings of C.S. Lewis in particular. And he realized, oh wait, you know, there's a, there's some there's some ideas, here, some intersection. But it also made him look at something else that was a huge challenge at that time, and that was the growth of Marxism. And, of course, Marxism, you know, this is in the height of the Cold War, but it was also, you know, the most popular, darling idea on American secular campuses, you know, this, uh, this Marxist view of reality. And, and he, he realized, <clears throat> to Doc's credit, uh, so many you know folks were going around either celebrating Marxism or, or um, criticizing Marxism. Doc realized that it was more than just an economic philosophy. this was an actual worldview. It had something to say about God. It had something to say about human nature. It had something to say about the flow of history. It had something to say about sin or the lack thereof. It had something to say about, um, uh, you, know, you know, how social relationships should be structured. It had something to say about the family. It had something to say about art. Uh, and Doc realized this, and he started to talk about Marxism as if, it's a, if it, as if it were a worldview. And he realized that this was not just... a a bad economic philosophy. It was actually a bad vision of reality that was going to lead to an awful lot of trouble. And of course, history has proved him right. I mean, Marxism was one of the most destructive ideas of the 20th century.
2: And even though uh, you don't hear a lot about Marxism anymore, you still hear on the college campuses the idea that socialism uh, is the way to go. That is the future. That's the way things are.
0: Oh yeah, you do. I mean, it's in so many ways it's taken as as fact, and you, and you kind of wonder, you know, did they miss the twentieth century? Um, right. You know, because you know, Friedrich Nietzsche at, at the end of the eighteen hundreds, you know, you know, kind of at the the heyday of of, of modernism, or you know, kind of the the, the triumph of enlightenment atheism. You know, look at the 20th century while everyone else was predicting utopia, utopia, utopia. God's off our back. We're going to fix the world. I mean, you can read that in the earliest Humanist Manifesto written in 1933. You can see it. And, you know, even how they ironically titled the First World War, the war to end all wars. That only lasted, what, for about 15 years before we had another worse one. Um, you know, there was this view at the end of the 1800s that God's off our back. Now science is going to move us forward. Um, Frederick Nietzsche actually predicted the opposite. He said, "Look, God's off our back um, now. Somebody's got to take his place." In other words, science itself is an is an area that's subject to power struggle. And he predicted that of the whole 20th century, that the 20th century was going to be power struggle after power struggle after power struggle. Well, he was prophetic. I mean, it ended up being exactly right. More people down in the 20th century than in all the centuries of the world combined. And of that number, you know, um, you know, and, and there, there's some some. Some differences in, in this prediction, but, but no, one, no one thinks less than 50 million people were slaughtered at the hands of communism just in the 20th century. I mean, and some people put that upper number at 150 million. I mean, it's an astounding, uh, astoundingly bad philosophy for us still to be flirting around with. And of course, you look down to South America, and it's very clear we are still flirting around with it. And some would say if you look in Washington, D.C., it's there too.
2: Right, right. Uh, John, let's uh, talk a little bit about your book. You co-authored a book called Making Sense of Your World, and uh, I'd love to know more about that.
0: Well, you know, there's a great story behind that book. Um, the, The first edition of that book, was, uh, was, the, was the first Worldview book that I had ever come, come across. i I, I grown up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, went off to a uh, so-called Christian college my freshman year, and was really slammed by ideas that I wasn't ready for. I mean, i had always heard that the Bible was true. I'd always heard things, you know, that marriage should be between a man and a woman, and, 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 and you know, sexuality should be kept there. But when I'm in college, I, I, I hear all these different ideas, and I was unprepared and uh, for, for the challenges that I was going to face. Well, I transferred my sophomore year to a school down in Tennessee called Bryan College. The president of that college was William Brown. Dr. William Brown, the head of the Bible department, was uh, Dr. Gary Phillips. And they had just authored this book, Making Sense of, of Your World. And uh, that class that we all were signed up for, Intro to Biblical Worldview, blew me away. And uh, those guys became mentors. They became friends. <clears throat> Both of them worked with us at Summit. Uh, they, I still stay in touch with both of them very closely. And, you know, that was uh, one of the early textbooks that w- was uh, uh, used in Christian colleges that were beginning to get serious about uh, teaching worldview. Well, uh, about uh, um, seven years ago, about f- well, excuse me, about five or six years ago, uh, 2007, um, Gary Phillips, the, one of the co-authors, approached me and said, hey, would you, we, we, it's really time to revise this. We need to spend a lot more time talking about Islam. When you spend a lot more time talking about um, certainly postmodernism, and uh, so I said absolutely, and so I was able to help revise that, and it's it's really kind of a one-stop shop book for a kind of an intro to worldview. I mean, if you're looking to get really, what is it, what does it mean to have a worldview? What what is a worldview? What are the worldviews that are competing for our attention? And what is the Christian worldview, and why should we believe it? Those are really the things uh, that we try to cover in, in that book. It's used on um, several college campuses. It's used um, by many homeschool families. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I appreciate you mentioning that.
2: How, how would uh, people find it different from the Understanding the Times book?
0: Yeah. Well, you know, um, there, there are books that do comparisons of worldviews. In other words, they set the major worldviews side by side, and understanding the times, David Noble's textbook certainly does that. It sets them side by side. Postmodernism, Islam, secular humanism, New Age, um, Christianity, and, um, and, and then there are books that are that are that are primarily uh, uh, apologetic. In other words, they're saying not only that Christianity is different from the other worldviews, and here's how, but Christianity is better. And so it defends that. And I would say, for example, books like Norm Geisler's Worlds Apart um, is one. And then there's there, there's worldview books that say, okay, let's build off a Christian worldview. This would be Chuck Colson's book How Now Shall We Live, um, as well as Nancy Piercy's book Total Truth. In other words, if Christianity is true, now what? How do we how do we look at society? And and really, what what this book attempts to do, what Making Sense of Your World attempts to do is kind of give you an intro to all three of those areas of worldview thinking. So we, we, we set Christianity side-by-side side with, with naturalism, uh, naturalistic worldviews, those worldviews which suggest that only the physical world exists. We set it beside postmodernism. We set it beside uh, what we call transcendentalism or the New Age philosophy. And we show how Christianity as a, as a, as a view is different, not only in its view of God, but its view of man, its view of truth, its view of history. View of government, view of uh, science and progress, and then we also spend the middle part of the book showing, hey, look, Christianity is not just different; it's better. Uh, Christianity can be demonstrated. And We take on really two specific challenges, or excuse me, three specific challenges um, to a, uh, a Christian worldview, and that is, how do we trust the Scriptures? Um, how do we know that the Scriptures themselves are accurate reflections <clears throat> of the original sources? And you know, is it, is it a reliable text? also the problem of evil. How do you explain um, evil and suffering? And that's, that's really one of the tough ones, because, you know, that's what a worldview has to do, right? It's got to explain the world. And um, especially in the last 10 years, I mean, the world we've lived in has been one of 9-11 tsunamis, hijackings, um, disease, and natural disasters. Uh, and then we also deal with pluralism. That's another challenge. In other words, in our postmodern context, how can you legitimately say Christianity is true for people who didn't grow up that way? Uh, And they grew up thinking something else is true. How do you you justify that? And is God just and meeting eternal punishment on those who have never heard his name? So these are tough questions that we wrestle with in the book. And then the third section of the book is just really trying to apply it. So we look at four spheres, the sphere of the self, the sphere of uh, the family, the sphere of the church, and the sphere of society, and say, okay, if Christianity is true, what implications does that have for those four spheres of uh, society?
2: Wow, it sounds wonderful. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. I'm Keith Kendricks, and with me,
1: Jennifer Quinn, Jessica Richardson, and Elizabeth Kendricks.
2: And we are speaking with John Stone Street, author and speaker about the Christian worldview. So, John, let's jump in. I I really want to get more in-depth into the Christian worldview. Um, This really is a, a Christian worldview radio show, and we focus a lot of our attention on how we can know that Christianity is true. So we do spend a lot of time on apologetics, but I also like to spend a lot of time with the Christian worldview, what it is, and how it's better. So maybe if you can expand on a little bit about what the Christian worldview is, and is it really a good thing? Uh, you know, that's something that the new atheists are claiming, is that the world would be better off without the Christian worldview.
0: Yeah, well, it, it, it's such an important, important question. Um, at the base of worldview thinking is, one, is, is a question. Uh, there's two ways to phrase this question. The first way would be the, the way the, ma- the movie The Matrix framed it. What is real? What is the really real? Uh, Another way to think about that question, what is the really real, is which world do we actually live in? Because when you say, well, I'm an atheist, you're, you're not just saying, I don't believe in God. You're saying, I believe we live in a world in which God has never existed and did not make it and is not guiding it. In other words, you're not just saying something about God, you're saying something about everything. Now, if you say that, I believe God exists, you're not just saying that, hey, there's a guy... Who, you know, who, who created everything. There's a God up there. You're saying that we live in a world, and the only world that we've ever lived in is one that was created by God, one in which humans were created by God to fulfill a particular purpose, to have a particular function, and, 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 that, that, he's in, and that he's either involved or not involved in the flow of history, whether you're a deist or a theist. And see, this is the important question of worldview, is that we want to look at the world we actually live in and say, well, which one is it? Um, and, and so the Christian worldview suggests not only that God exists, but that God is personal. In other words, he, he, he's not the God of Oprah. He's not the God of, uh, of Hinduism, or one of the gods of Hinduism. He's the only God. And, and, and he's, he didn't just create the world. He's intimately involved in where it's going. Uh, Colossians. Says that the universe was created and is sustained by the Word of God. So, just like we, we believe that in the beginning God said and there it was, God continues to say things and it holds the universe together. So, we live in a world in which God is very present. We also live in a world in which the intention that God had for things, included giving human beings an enormous amount of freedom, and an enormous amount of authority. This is actually one of the stunning differences between the God of the Bible and the gods of Egypt, and this would have been very obvious to the Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt, and Moses is saying, okay, here's the real story of the world. They're going to they're gonna see that after, after hearing about all these other gods, the, the, the polytheism of, 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 of Egypt, Uh, um, essentially different gods that can control different aspects of reality and we're kind of just playing games with people. That's not the God of Christianity and, and, and Judaism. The God of Judaism said that humans were made in God's image. They were the most important things of all created things, and that they actually were given a task by God to rule the earth on God's behalf. And so that brings up the next chapter of the Christian worldview, which is they didn't do a good job, which means according to the Scriptures, not only did they break, but everything broke. Romans 8 says that the creation was subjected to frustration by the choices of, of those uh, image-bearers. And so what you have is that the world's broken. The world is, in the world, words of um, theologian Neil Plantinga, not the way it's supposed to be. Now, just from what we're at already, right, you, you should be able to have some implications about the world we live in. If God created it, we should expect that it should have some order well, this is one of the great ironies of atheistic evolution. If evolution is true, if, excuse me, if atheistic evolution is true, then the universe is a set of is a result of essentially mindless, causeless, or random acts of nature. <laughs> well, that doesn't have a plan, so we shouldn't expect order. We shouldn't even. We shouldn't even expect that we should be able to study a disordered universe. Where does the order come from unless there's an orderer? Well, the universe we live in is one in which science works. Well, why does science work? This is one of the things that Rodney Stark brings out in his terrific book, The Victory of Reason and for the Glory of God. Also, Dinesh brings this out in What's So Great About Christianity. It's because of the way the universe is made that we're able to do science in the first place. So in other words, if atheistic evolution is true, then we shouldn't be able to trust our minds to figure it out. It's what um, Alvin Plantinga called the fatal flaw of atheistic evolution. C.S. Lewis said it this way: If the universe had no meaning, we should have figured we should have never figured out that it has no meaning. We shouldn't have those categories in our thinking. Um, the second thing that that is implied by what we've talked about so far about the Christian worldview is the universe is, is fallen. So when somebody comes up, and in fact, we've already alluded to this a little bit, but look, if there's one lesson we should learn from the 20th century, it's the next time somebody jumps up and goes, hey guys, I can fix the world, (laughs) run away. Because that guy's not only not going to fix the world, he's going to make the world worse. Because we need a redeemer, we need an outside redeemer. And that's the final chapter of the Christian worldview, that God himself takes on flesh. And so the world is redeemable, it's not perfectible but it's redeemable. And those are two very different concepts. We can't order people rightly uh, just by fixing their economics and think that they're fine. That's what the big mistake of Marxism was. We actually have to do something about this, th- about the problem with the human heart. And that's what God brings. And, and, and look, I don't wanna, I mean, there's, a, there's obviously a lot to say. And we teach tons of classes on this. But let me, let me give you the one apologetic aspect of this, Keith, if, it's, if that's okay.
2: Yeah, that'd be great. If you, if,
0: if, if you look at these different visions of reality that are out there, Why is it that Christianity is? uh, Why do I believe Christianity is true? Well, look, I I, I believe that there's enormous evidence for the resurrection. I believe that the evidence for God's existence is way better than his evidence, uh, uh, way better than any sort of evidence that can be compiled that he doesn't exist. But at the end of the day, one of the things that's so absolutely compelling about the Christian view of the world, the Christian conception of God in the world, is that it gets human nature right. Right? So, so you have. You have atheistic worldviews that say essentially that men and women, humans, are animals. And then you have the New Agey worldviews that say, well, no, humans are God. We're God inside. Well, neither of those seem to reflect reality. We sometimes do things heroic and sacrificial and eternal, and that doesn't make sense because animals don't do those things. We also sometimes do things that are desperately wicked, which New Agey worldviews can never explain acts of just deep, deep evil. So we're not animals, and we're not God. What does Christianity say? Christianity says, hey, you guys, we're made in the image of God, but we act like animals. And that seems to reflect the world that we live in, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Well, John, let's address a little bit the question then about should Christians care about the Christian worldview? It seems that when I was getting interested in Christian worldview, I thought, wow, this is going to really sweep the church and everybody's going to get interested in this. Look at, look at the history of the Christian worldview that we have, 2,000 years of knowledge that has been built up based on the reality of Christianity, and yet today our churches are filled with people who have a golden ticket to heaven in their back pocket, and they are just happy watching television and believing the uh, secular worldview. They don't seem to think that the Christian worldview matters at all. Does Is the Christian worldview important to, to Christians?
0: Well, I mean, I, I mean I, absolutely. I don't even know how else to say it. I, I, in fact, I would say that if you do not have discipleship of the mind that you, uh, you're not a disciple. Uh, You know, so we can behave a particular way, we can witness, we can read our Bible and pray, but if we're not seeing the world as God created it, seeing the world as God sees it, then we're not yet sanctified. Uh, And I think you see that throughout the scripture. I mean, Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So not only with our heart, but also with our mind. But then the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, listen, how can I love my neighbor if I don't know what sort of human nature my neighbor has. How can I really love my neighbor if I'm not paying attention to the social forces that are either humanizing him or dehumanizing him? You know, if you haven't read Eric Metaxas' terrific biography of Bonhoeffer, we we, we all need to do this, because this this gets to the heart of it. Bonhoeffer, there came a time in his life where he realized that if he were going to love his Jewish neighbor, it meant more than just loving his Jewish neighbor. It meant he needed to do something about his government that was sending his Jewish neighbor off to the concentration camp right? If we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves, loving the unborn in our culture, loving the the, the mom tuff, stuck in a tough pregnancy with that un, uh, uh, unwanted, unplanned for unborn means that they need to have a really, we need to help them have an understanding about what that unborn is and that their life is valuable and that there's long-term consequences for taking human life and, you know, all these sorts of things. So it's just part of loving God. Um, Chuck Colson, of course, got this, I think, as good as anybody, and but he used to quote uh, Abraham Kuyper, a great um, Dutch theologian, and, and, and he, he said it well. He said, there's not a single square inch in all of creation where Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, does not put his foot and say, that's mine. And I think uh, to love God means understanding the fullness of God's authority. And what that means is is to be a Christian, a fully a Christian, in every sense of the word is to go in every square inch of creation, put our foot and say, that, that's, that belongs to him. And and that includes politics, economics, history, law, sociology, uh, the arts, um, biology, chemistry, uh, fashion, music, movies, TV shows. You know, this is the world that God created. This is the world that God has, that that Christ has come to. This is the world in which he promises to make all things new. And so that's the world we live in.
2: And that world that we live in, so so many times uh, people will become a Christian and they are completely divorced from the history of christianity they have no idea that some of the many benefits uh, in the world were based on the christian worldview and built up the uh, christian worldview provided the basis for science you know uh, hospitals charitable care the rights of women the abolition of slavery and we be, today we become christians and we just don't See the connection. We don't realize that we have the ability to stand on the shoulders of the great men and women who went before us and laid the groundwork for the Christian worldview that established so much prosperity and benefit that uh, lifted up the uh, Western world.
0: Well, it did, and, and, and you, you've already named some terrific resources, but uh, for a friend who asked the question, um, you know, the, the, those are the historical ones. I'd even point to one re- recent about t- today, and I, I mentioned, uh, you know, the amount of hospitals and so on, but uh, Arthur Brooks, uh, who now runs the American Enterprise Institute, was uh, uh, an economist at Syracuse, and one of his early books is called Who Really Cares? It's a fascinating book, and because he looks at, Just a state-by-state comparison of religious belief plus charitable giving. And, uh, the, the, the most charitable state, if I remember correctly in this, that he, I in this book is Mississippi, which is also the most religious and per capita one of the poorest, but they're the most charitable. And the least charitable are those that, that, that basically are the least religious. Uh, they're the ones, they're, they're punning their charity over to government to do the work for them. And so it's, it's just interesting. It's for, so for the challenge that Christianity hasn't done anything good to the world, it's doing something good right now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so, yeah, it's just its just a, it, really an indefensible sort of uh, position.
2: Today, I remember back in the 70s when I first got saved, you could reliably depend that if you learn something like the Romans Road, you learn something like the four spiritual laws, that you could uh, bring people to know Christ. And I think we are just living in a different world now. Uh, if you are not prepared for some of the objections that will come your way, You're going to be speechless because uh, there's a whole Internet community out there that passes along all these objections. And uh, and that's something that the Christian worldview and the ministries that you're involved help us to, to overcome.
1: Yeah, on top of that, it is amazing when I talk to Christians, and so many Christians still haven't even heard of apologetics and don't even know what it was. And it amazes me because I like almost every person I witness to, they always have these type of objections. Like if I didn't have a knowledge of apologetics, I feel like just giving the mere Romans Road is not enough. It really isn't today with all the um, with all the other world views that people have just been absorbing. Now you first you have to break down those barriers before you present them with the truth.
0: That's, uh, listen, that's, I couldn't have said it better. That's just absolutely true. Um, and, in fact, I mean, you, you know, to say I, I don't know what they would say. Well, you do know what they say, and a lot of folks who don't have those answers, they either say nothing or they say things that are actually uh, maybe even damaging. Um, uh, and, and, that's, and that's really the problem. And, you know, but, uh, Keith, to go back to your point earlier about you know, so many people, Christians, don't know this, or so many people don't understand the Christian worldview. What we need to understand is is we may be personally redeemed and on our way to heaven, but we might have a completely secular worldview. And so that's one of the things that many people have written about in the church. We certainly have spent a lot of time talking with Christian school administrators and teachers about this, it's, uh, you know the, the the average Christian teenager today is a is essentially a secularist with a twist or a postmodernist with a twist, um, and, and so they're going to embrace ideas that aren't consistent with Christianity, aren't consistent with the lordship of Christ, don't honor him, but that, that also are going to continue to take our society in a direction uh, that, that that's just that's, that's 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 really damaging, and it's going to continue, you know, to be as the last couple of popes called the culture of death. And, I mean, you can see it not just with our fascination with abortion uh, or our, our our new kind of eugenics in the form of pre, prenatal testing of Down syndrome babies that are aborted now at the rate of 90%, but you can see it just in, in the area of fashion. You know, I mean, the girls that we work with, on a, on a, on a, every, every year at the summit, right? I mean, you, you could ask them, hey, this fashion, this fashion, does it make you more human or does it make you less human? And they all know it just, it steals their value. It steals their, their worth. And um, we, so what do we need to do? Well, we need Christians to go into that field and say, this belongs to Jesus. And let's, let's reflect reality. Let's reflect, what makes women actually valuable.
2: So what you're saying is once we as Christians have learned the Christian worldview, and realize that Scripture has something to say about every area of life, and we learn what those things it says are. Now we need to engage the culture, actually engage the culture?
0: Yeah, we, we, well, we got to. I mean, look, it, it's not like culture is neutral. It's not like culture sits there. And, and culture is either bringing life or bringing death, Proverbs says. And and, and so uh, the Christian is called to do that. Uh, and, and Acts 17, Paul Paul engages culture, it seems, for at least a couple reasons. Number one is he engages culture uh, because it's for the glory of God. You know, it says in, when he walks around Athens, his spirit is greatly grieved that God is not getting the honor that he's due. Um, you can also see that he, he engages that because bad ideas were there, and wherever bad ideas are, you know, true ideas are needed. I think it was Lewis who said, we need good philosophy for no other reason than bad philosophy exists. Um you know, and, and, then, and then third, I think you see Paul speaking out culturally, because culture victimizes people. I mean, you know, in other words, it's not just that ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences via culture for real people who are made in the image and likeness of God. And, um, you know, throughout history, whether you're talking about War before whether you're talking about uh, Bonhoeffer, whether you're talking about Martin Luther King, you know, the, the believers who understood human nature to be a particular sort of way um, felt compelled to stand up and uh, talk about areas in which culture was uh, taking people's right to life, stealing their dignity, stealing their freedom. Uh, And it's it's a great history of Christianity.
2: Well, John, we've got about a minute left, uh, but Jess saved the hardest question of all for last. So go ahead, Jess.
1: Um, My question is, how do we engage culture without like, becoming part of, like, being in the world but not of the world? How do we do that, especially (laughs) for college students, to not water down the gospel and everything else?
0: In one minute or less. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Ready? I'm going to tell you. You do it by remembering you don't live in the culture. You live in God's world. Culture is the way people paint a world, but the only world we live in is still God's world. So you immerse yourself in the Scriptures, and you see which world we actually live in, and that gives you the ground to celebrate the right things of culture, to critique the wrong things of culture, um, to keep yourself accountable from, from being deceived by the bad ideas in culture and by championing the good ideas in culture. And that's my answer number one, but the, 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 the second answer is next week on the Two-Minute Warning, I start a four-part series on this, on Christianity and culture, and we start with that question, And go from there. So uh, look us up, Two Minute Warning, either at Breakpoint.org or by downloading our iPhone app, uh, Breakpoint Colson Center iPhone app from the App Store.
2: Perfect. John Stone Street, thank you for being a guest on Evidence for Faith.
0: Yeah, God bless you guys, and uh, keep up the great work. Great. You've been listening to
2: Evidence for Faith, a ministry of Ratio Christi. Send your comments or questions to email at evidenceforfaith.com, and join us again next week for more reasons to believe. But always remember that the best reason for being a Christian is because it's true.